welcome to the Leading Through the Enneagram podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Pritz. Together, we will explore how the Enneagram typology system applies to leadership. We interview leaders that share their Enneagram journey and how it's impacted the way they lead in their organizations, in their communities, and in their personal lives. I'm so excited for my guest today, Amber Fields. She and I uh, met back in September of 2019, and we um, got to meet in person back then, of course, through something called Rise and Thrive that our mutual friend, Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, led and just knocked it out of the park. She took um, high-achieving women and put them all in a room, and we were able to be very vulnerable and open with one another, and we just created this amazing opportunity for women to come together that are like-minded, high achievers, but to provide a safe space for them to grow and develop. And so shout out to Rebecca. One of her primary gifts and talents is connections. So she really is a wonderful connector and talks to someone and connects you to three other people that are just spot on. Like this is a really huge gift for Rebecca. So shout out to her for bringing us together because I'm not sure I would have ever met Amber outside of that experience. So Amber is the Director of Corporate Sales for AIS, and she has um, strengths that include sales, marketing, customer experience. Um, She has really rich experience in the tech infrastructure, and she's really got a different spin on that. She focuses in on how to enable and help clients um, and really making the tech really fit for the people. And so she really believes in the power of relationships. So that is that is totally going to come through in this interview, um, not only just with her clients, but in her community and her personal life. And so when she's not elevating her customers with tech infrastructure, she is speaking to groups on authenticity, um, engaging in their work, um, and then capitalizing on their networks. And so she's really um, great at teaching that because she does it so beautifully. She's also the co-host of a um, video podcast called The Truth Revival. It's on Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, airs weekly on Facebook and then also on YouTube. So go check her out. There's some really cool stuff that she's doing there and really inspiring a lot of people. And then um, she also um, graduated from University of Indianapolis. So she um, was here local and then also um, went through Zarvos Leadership Coaching, which she's taught me a lot about that experience. And there's so much synergy there with my own um, coach training experience as well. So we just have had so much to talk about um, over our time together. Um, She is constantly just investing in herself, which I love. So Rise and Thrive here in Indianapolis was a a big investment for her. Um, She is involved with Toastmasters International and also Edge Mentoring. And she mentions this in the interview, but she also has five kids. So she's got some stuff going on. And she is just a real bright light in a world that I think needs her more than ever. And so I'm so excited to introduce you to Amber Fields. Okay, so welcome, Amber, to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Yeah, so I got to meet Amber um, through something called Rise and Thrive, which was um, here in Indianapolis. And she was one of these women that walked in the room and I was like, oh my gosh, I love you instantly. Like she had this great smile and laugh and just like such a positive presence. Um, And so I got the pleasure of guiding her through the Enneagram. It was something she had already been exposed to, um, but it was so fun to kind of walk her through that and hear her story. So I invited her on the podcast today just to kind of talk about 
how she got exposed to the Enneagram, what she's learned through it. And so I will turn it over to Amber. I want her to share her story as far as which number she most identifies with and kind of how she discovered that number and sort of the path to getting to that discovery. It can be a long one. um, And most of us are still on that journey. So most of us are still kind of discovering things along the way. I still discover things about my nineness every day, I think. And so... Um, so I want Amber to start with just kind of how did you discover your type? Um, what is your type? And just tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to be on here today. I listen to you weekly and I'm like, it's just so fascinating, right? Like how different um, people can be and how they resonate with the different numbers and everything. What I find interesting about Enneagram is I knew a little bit about it before I met you, but not a ton. And I had not, I had taken the test. Uh, and I think that I had, like before I was a three, I took it again with you, but I didn't pay much attention to it. I took it and I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Just like all the other ones. Mm-hmm. And I took it again with you um, and we took a deep dive in. And so I thought for sure I was going to come out as a three again when this time I came out as a two. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I'm a two with a wing seven and one and three have the exact same number, which I thought was crazy. So I was like, I'm kind of a mix of all these things, Yeah, (laughs) which I think everybody is, right? Like you identify with one, but you can see yourself in some of the other ones, which is what I love about Enneagram is you're not boxed in necessarily. Right. Right. And some of the other ones, you're this and this is it, right? So um, I feel very free inside of Enneagram to identify with the one that is natural, but then I have the ability to access the other ones when needed. Yes. No, I agree. I think that's one of the beautiful things about it is it's all about growth. If we stop at sticking ourselves in this box, we're, we're not getting it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I think that I hear a lot and I personally experienced with other personality assessments and I'm not casting shame or shade. I think they all have something to tell us, yeah. but they're almost like inflating. Like it's almost like here's all the things you're fantastic about uh, or, or, you know, with, and here's all your strengths and here's all your things that you're so great with. I think it almost like fuels the ego. And when you discover your Enneagram type, it hurts. <laughs> I mean, there yes, are parts of it, it where you're like, ouch. I mean, I feel like someone just beat me up. And so yes. I think it forces us to look at the worst parts of ourselves. And that's where I really think growth comes from. I love um, that. You said so that. that resonates with you as well. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if you remember our first coaching session session, but I was like, Rachel, I'm kind of pissed. Like <laughs> I remember I remember you saying that, but you had done That's so like, much work on yourself up front. Like you would say, Yes, but this is how I've overcome that. So I loved hearing sort of your journey of of how you you absolutely were kind of a core too, but you learned to grow through that. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Like just that journey of um, how you sort of, cause you sort of like backtracked it cause you learned the Enneagram after you went through this big period of growth. Yeah. And so you kind of had to go backwards and say, okay, here were the areas that I can see this showing up, but here's how I overcame it. Yes. So like a, um, so a two is the helper. And um, the thing that I loved about it is I took the opportunity to step into the strengths of what a helper is. Right. So, um, but I didn't know that that's what I was doing. So I learned these, uh, I went through a Zarbo's leadership and coaching, um, six years ago, and I was carrying around a lot of baggage and 
feeling shame and guilt for being this person that was very altruistic, very forgiving, very loving. Like people oftentimes view that as weakness. Mm-hmm. And it, so it was painful and it hurt. So I go through this program. I learn a lot about um, my, myself, my personal gifts and talents. And what's interesting about it is people are like, you went through the program, but we don't see a huge change on the outside. But they didn't know what I was fighting on the inside. Yeah. So a helper is someone that's always giving. They're always showing up for people. They're always finding possibilities. They're, they're trying to find that winning, winning scenario um, to make everything work in the world. You know, like I'm, I want, um, Rebecca last week asked on LinkedIn, what are the three things that matter most to you? Peace, freedom, and love. And you go to the helper and you're like, hmm, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I loved that I had gone through this program and then I could put um, names to it. Like I could put a verbiage to what this meant for who I am as a person. And then I could be proud to represent that. We are great hostesses. We love to bring people together and see like that popping of like, um, you know, connection and relatability. You know, we love that. Uh, But when a two becomes in fear or freaks out, like we are very aggressive and grumpy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, So I don't know if you remember the two with the three wing is actually named the hostess. (laughs) Oh, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So you're so right for sure. Um, But yeah, so under stress, the two does look like an eight. And so you can get a little more aggressive and people are like, where did that come from? And so once again, like, I think part of this is just to kind of like sit back in non-judgment and say, oh, there's actually a lot of other people that do this same stuff. It's not just me. So I think some of the freeing part of the Enneagram is learning that nothing's wrong with you. Um, This is how a lot of people show up. There's lots of twos in the world that do the same thing. And what's cool about you is you chose to say, wait a minute, this isn't working for me. So I want to learn how to get out of this. Not that it doesn't still creep in. It does for all of us. You know, so these things like that's a lifelong journey to, to continue towards this, this, you know, best version of ourselves. Um, But I love that you're doing something about it. So I think, I think that's what I want to see in the world is that we take this information and we actually somehow put it into practice on a daily basis. It's awareness. So right now that I know that these are my strengths and talents and my natural gifting, I grew up in a world where I think most of us do. Um, The world tells us how we're supposed to show up. And, oh, that's not the gift that you should be working on. You should be working on the gaps. And through this transformation process, I have learned that it's, no, you focus on what you're good at. You let other people who are really good at those things fill your gaps for you which I feel like is a good transition into the professional world, right? This is where it shows up in my job every day. I'm not the most detailed person. If you put me in front of like an RFP or something like that, my I go cross-eyed. I'm like <laughs> so stressed out. I'm like, I can't. It's just not where my natural gifting is. You know, I'm, in, I'm into the relationships and I'm into creating experiences. So my team all has those gifts where I fall short. But I love it because it gives an opportunity to elevate their innate gifts and talents and who they are as people. And then together, you know, you bring this beautiful, you know, thing together and it just creates something super amazing. 
and everybody feels like they matter. Everybody feels like they're doing great things in the world. And I don't have to always be the person doing all the things, which prior to this transformational experience that I went through, I was the only one that had all the right answers. I was the only one that could do it right. Like, (laughs) right. Right. I was sitting in a very negative version of two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's partially just the ego. Like the whole thing is like your personality is just ego. And so the more wrapped up you are in that, um, the, 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 like you get more and more unhealthy, the more you get raveled into that. And so I think when we can unravel that ego and get back to who we were born to be and the unique gifts and talents we've been given, that's when the, when it really can have uh, an impact. Yeah. So you mentioned that the work impact, I love, I love that you've pieced that together. Like, I don't need to do it all. I need to find people that can do the things that I don't do well. Um, I think that's wonderful. I think that's exactly how some of this work should work. Not even, not even with the Enneagram, but just in general, right? Like we want, we want people to be using their unique gifts and talents as much as possible in their job roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so how else has it changed you professionally? Just kind of knowing your, your two-ness and even when that sort of that more aggressive side of Amber might come out, how do you step back and sort of regulate that and recognize it for what it is? And how have you put that into practice professionally? Yeah, I think the cool thing about Enneagram is once you figure out what everybody else is and you have a good understanding of who they are and their come from, I think there's a large misconception in the world today that we just assume how people feel. We just assume that this is, you know, we assume a lot. We make a lot of things right and wrong. And what Enneagram does is it allows us to see a broad perspective of people's personalities. And so, um, and it's faster, right? Like you get there quicker. Okay. So my counterpart is, you know, a seven. So I know that for a seven, like she's super enthusiastic, right? So, so all I know how to come at her. She loves spontaneity and, you know, or whatever it is, you know, whatever the number is, you just know that, okay, in this place, this is where it's going to feed her soul. And in this place, this is where it's not going to work. So don't go that place. Yeah. You know, don't, (laughs) don't do that. You know, and it's the same in my own house too. Like I, I love how they're kind of like, you can view it from a personal and professional. My home is just like my business. Absolutely. Yeah. I have five kids at home, all that are all different on the spectrum um, and all have different personalities. And then you add in my husband and it's like a conglomerate of like chaos could burst out at any point in time. Yeah. But you've yeah. got to know with each individual how to approach that. So I think that what it, the way that it has changed me is that I'm just more aware. And now I am conscious of how to deal with people at, at their level, not my level. Yes. Well, it goes back to, I say this all the time, the golden rule is crap. So we were all taught this golden rule of treat people the way you want to be treated. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we need to treat people the way they want to be treated, which is the platinum rule. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work. So as a leader um, of a family or in an organization mm-hmm. to individualize the way you treat people is a lot of work up front, but when you do it and you really are intentional about it, it actually is a long-term strategy. So I really think when you can do that for teams, like I'm coaching a few teams this summer through the Enneagram, and I'm like, you have just expedited learning about each other probably three years. Like It probably would have taken you three years. They're a pretty new team and they've hired in a few new people too. Mm -hmm. And so nobody really knows each other. I'm like, we have just like expedited this a, a solid three years. I really believe that. And so, and they were kind of mind blown. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that externally. Because to your point, 
we show people certain things, but the Enneagram is about measuring our internal world and getting us clear on our internal world. And we don't show that to everyone. In fact, we rarely show it to most people. Yeah. And so I think that was really impactful for them to get to kind of see who they are internally and learn a little more about that. So they could even stand tall in who they were. So they could show up and say like, you know what? I was told that I should be this, but I'm not. <laughs> and so here's where my gifts are. You know, what are your gifts? So we can kind of fill those gaps in. So, yeah. And I think that people probably in my own organization, I see things because I'm passionate about growth as a whole. So while my job every single day is a business development, you know, director and I go in and I help grow partnerships with other clients and partners internally, I'm very passionate about the growth of the teams that I support and finding out what they're like on the service team, what gifts they have. Because when you can tune into what they are innately good at and you make them feel good around that versus always auto-correcting them or always giving them, you know, feedback that they're like, God, I just feel like I'm never getting this right. Hey, this and making sure the other part of that is making sure you have the right people and the right seats on the bus. Yeah. You know, so once we have that down, or even if we don't, but we can help, you know, kind of maneuver and show them ways where they can be successful in these roles, your organization, I feel like is going to thrive. You're going to be able to see them perform at a higher level because when they feel appreciated, one, it comes naturally to them, right. you know, because they are aware of all of the goals or all of the um, great things that are good about them and what they do very easily. Yeah. Um, and you're not like, keep working on that. Keep trying to do that better. Some people just can't do those things or want to. So like, I don't want to work on becoming a better writer of RFP responses. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Cause there's other people that love that and you're stealing that from them, Amber, if you you write too many RFPs. Oh my gosh. And it's so freeing. Like I, I, I hope that other people feel the same, right? When you, when you free them up from having to do the things that don't serve them, yeah, they feel a level of freedom and peace around it that they're like, you know what? I just get to do what I'm good at and yeah. we will find somebody to do what I'm not. So I want to see, and I think the Enneagram does a great job at that. It's just like you said, getting us there faster, having a better understanding of who we are as teammates and how we all coexist together. Yeah. You know, because for a lot of us, we're with our teams as much, if not more, than we're with our families. Yeah. Well, when you're not in COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We're just just with everyone all the time. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. work and personal. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah, Enneagram is good for us. Yeah. Well, and even outside of the Enneagram with my coaching clients, I think one of the biggest things that, that they get stuck with or what they come to me with is that they've given away every ounce of power that they have. Yeah. So they feel like they're being told what to do all day long by mm-hmm. everyone and they're grown-ups, and they have no control over their own lives. And so they feel upside down. Of course they do. So yeah. when they can take that ownership and say, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not good at, that can feel very empowering. It can feel like they're starting to take some of that back when they have a leader that's receptive to that. Boom. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're, they're going to thrive. They're going to be engaged. Yeah. Um, it makes total sense to me. Like we look at engagement scores sometimes in organizations and I think we're chasing the wrong things, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, if you just sat down and asked the people individually, like, what do you think you're good at? If they don't know, let's figure that out together. And yeah. then let's give you more of that work. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm really good at that. I love to sit down and oh, help I, people figure out what they're good at. Like, I totally see that about you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Sit down and go, okay, so that doesn't serve you. So what does, yeah. you know, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, when people don't know, I kind of say, so what about your job? Do you lose track of time doing? And they'll give me like three things. And I'm like, okay, that's probably something you're good at. Cause we usually lose track of time doing things that, that yeah. are using our gifts and talents. Um, and then I'll say like, what sucks your energy? Like, what do you procrastinate on? What like, you know, what RFP are you putting off? Cause you don't want to write this, you know? And then they make a list of those things. And I'm like, there you go. That's it. So here's the thing you need to try to do less of. Here's the things you need to try to do more of. Um, if you're not the leader and you can't always delegate and, and kind of shift those things, tell your one up. Like as a leader, I, that's like music to my ears. If you tell me what it is that you're good at and I can... I can know that up front and put you in the right job roles in the right places. Oh my gosh. Like that's amazing. And if you work for an organization that's not open to that, then I would check out, you know, monster.com. So (laughs) I I really like, it might be time to move on. So Mm -hmm. if that's not what your, your leadership, um, you know, looks like. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit professionally. Tell me the spillover in the personal world. Like you mentioned trying to, you know, treat your kids as individuals, which I love. Um, how has it affected you personally, just in your own personal relationships, knowing who internal Amber is, like who this real woman inside is, not not who you were trying to be? Yeah, I think when you become your most authentic version of yourself, which we're always working on, you know, you're always chipping away at Michelangelo, you know, trying trying to get to the core of who you who you were born to be. Um, I'm less high strung. You know, I'm less controlling, trying to always make things work for the good of our family. And sometimes I think one of the biggest things that came out of understanding the Enneagram was um, I was not very good at creating space for things before. Everything had to line up. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be good all the time. Yeah. And so there was no space for that failure or that like someone in the house is just grumpy. And that is okay. I wanted to immediately come in and fix it and create a different experience for them. Except that they have to sit in that for a while and figure out what it is at the core of themselves, what's bothering them, what's upset. So I got to step back and stop trying to fix things all the time and allow for them to work it out. They'll come to me if they want help, if they want feedback, if they want to be loved on, whatever. They'll come to me. and. I can remember a certain situation where it's just so hard to learn about yourself in the places where I thought I was doing really good or I thought I was something. And then someone holds up a mirror and like glares at you and you're like, Oh, I am not actually good at that. So a friend of mine, um, said we were having, it was actually my realtor, but she also happens to be a friend and she was like, Oh, are you, we're going to an event back before COVID. <laughs> and I said, Oh, are you looking forward to having fun tonight? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I bring all the fun. And she was like, mm, I wouldn't put Amber and fun in the same sentence. She's like, you wouldn't be the one that I would go to for fun. Now your husband, on the other hand, he's the fun one. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so I got to sit, I got to create space for myself and sitting in that and being like, she didn't say I wasn't fun. She just said that fun wasn't the number one thing. She said, now, if I wanted to come, if I needed to be loved on, you would be it. If I needed a swift kick in my butt, 
you would be it. Yeah. So she pointed out the things, but I wanted to focus on the thing that I thought I was, but I am actually not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for twos specifically, they do get lost in their own needs. And so because you're such a giving person, so you're constantly like seeing all these needs in the world and fixing, like when you said fixing, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, most twos are fixers. Like they want, and it comes from a place of like truly wanting to help, but sometimes it can become overbearing for other people or the helpful advice that twos think they have um, is not well received and was never asked for. (laughs) <laughs> and so, so that, so they can really, you know, push people away. And then people, you know, like, like, especially in unhealthy twos, like, wait a minute, I do so much for them. This is not okay. I cannot believe they're not grateful and they never asked for it, you know? So I think yep. that's like, that's a huge growth opportunity, even with your family to say, you know what, it's okay to sit in some of those negative emotions. Twos don't like to do that either. They're in the positive outlook group. They like to sort of just reframe everything to the positive. It's all going to be great if I help more people the world will be okay. And that's just not always how it works. And people have to process things in different um, and unique ways. And we just have to let them do it and be a soft place for them to land. And I think twos out of any number on the Enneagram are probably the best at being a soft place to land when they can step out of fixing, when they can step out of it and let people feel. And I see that about you. I could absolutely see you being the soft place to land. When I need love, there she is. Yeah. 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 I can remember when I was coaching, I was um, going through, like I mentioned, when you go through the Zarbos program and you complete it, you can go back and be a coach. And yeah. so I'm super excited because I had all this, you know, like excitement about the transformation that I had and I wanted to help other people have that. And so you're not really a coach. You're more of like just someone who's been through the experience and you're helping them get through their experience. So yeah. accountability. Um, but I like in the very beginning, I could remember telling them how to do it versus having them figure it out on their own. That was my greatest revelation in coaching um, professionally in coaching my own children, you know, because your kids automatically come to you and say, mom, how do I do this? And so I took a step back and was like, well, how do you think you should do it? Yeah. Even though you're like, I'm dying to tell you how to do it because I know. (laughs) I got an answer. I mean, it's probably going to get you there. But one of the most beautiful things we learned in that program is that when you, so start with vision and work your way backwards and it doesn't have to look like, as long as you achieve the outcome that you desire, the how to get there does not matter. Right. People are going to, and again, I go back to freedom. Like when I realized that I had zero, it didn't matter what other people's expectations were. If this was what I wanted for my life, if this is what other people want for their life, the how-to is on you. Yeah. So now I have it the other way where, where people are like, when I'm coaching, they're like, oh, just tell me how to do it. I'm like, no, because yeah. the way I would do it looks completely different than the way you would do it. Yeah. Yeah. So use what use your experiences and your gifts and talents to get there. It's not wrong, but so many people in the world want to get it right. Right. So they're like looking for this plan and looking for someone to give them direction on how to live their life, which was me. Like I was, you know, living a world of what everybody else expected of me because that's what we did. Tell me how to do this. Tell me how to do that. And I, oh man, when that shift and change happened, it was fantastic because it just felt like I, me and I could go do the things and it wasn't wrong. And I, and I didn't have to sit in shame around it or guilt. Yes. You're like, how did I not know? Because you yeah. didn't know. No one ever told you. Right. <laughs> right. 
Well, and that is one of the big um, emotional struggles for the two is that shame and guilt. Like that's a big thing for them. Um, so it doesn't like surprise me to have you say that a couple of times. Um, and we didn't go through the same coach training, but same thing for me. I mean, I imagined when I first experienced coaching that I hired my own coach before I became a coach just to get out of my own burnout, you know, period. And she um, never told me what to do. And I was like, what in the heck? Like, I thought I was going to get on the phone. She was going to give me all the answers, but it doesn't stick when you do that. And I don't care if you're a leader and you're just coaching um, somebody on your team, um, telling them how and what to do is, is not coaching. That can sometimes be considered mentoring, but those are two different things. And so when you can truly let them get get to the answer in their own way. It may not be in your time frame. It may not be at all how you would have done it, but please let them do that because that's how they're going to learn about themselves. And then they can rinse and repeat. Okay, I learned what works for me now. And so now I'm going to do the same thing with the next situation that arises. And so that's how it sticks. If you tell people what to do, it does not work. In fact, grownups actually hate being told what to do. Absolutely. Most of us push against it. Most of us are not like, thank you for that great advice. We're like, whatever, we're going to do the opposite because we no, are because we've grown up with <laughs> everybody telling us what to do all the time. Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to instill in my kids. Like, I don't know how you do that. Tell me how you do it. And if you need help along the way. So I'm really trying to use being a two as the helper and the doer um, and allowing for people to become how they figure it out. Like I, I could jump in. That is my innate, natural reaction to everything. I'm just going to jump in and do it. And it also frees up a lot of time for me. Yes. To work on the things that I want to be working on instead of getting in and doing all the things for everybody else. Yep. Yep. Well, and to me, that sounds like a very healthy too. So you can give unconditional love to everyone, but also to yourself. So... (laughs) So that's- I did not realize how much I neglected myself until COVID, Rachel. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was giving and giving and giving all, yeah, because it's natural for me. But at the same time, if you don't work on you and do the things for you, you don't have anything to give. It's like what Wendy said, put your own oxygen mask on, right? In her Rise and Thrive uh, presentation. But I thought I was, but I didn't even innately know what I needed. Right. I had no idea until I was forced in, in inside with myself and with my family. And I'm like, oh, I've been doing all this work all this time. And, and I was actually listening to one of your podcasts and I was like, and you were talking through uh, with another two, I believe, or about a two. And they were like, twos have to do a really good job about taking care of themselves so that they can show up for other people. Yes. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's true of nines. I mean, it's not, it's not only just a two thing. It's true yeah. of some of the other numbers too. But I would say hands down where people get most stuck and they come to me and say, I'm upside down. I need something. I need some sort of, ch- of a change. Mm-hmm. It's because they're not taking care of themselves. They'll even say, when I say, well, what are your um, passions or what do you like to do? They have no idea. They don't know yeah. anymore. Because they've done such a good job of not um, using anything on that list of things that they enjoy that they've forgotten. They don't even know. Yeah. So that's the first step is like, well, okay, let's, like, let's figure out maybe it's something really simple too. For the most part, like I have clients do an exercise called uh, the ideal day. And so they just like dream the ideal day. Mm-hmm. And they walk me through from this moment they wake up to the moment they fall asleep. Here's my ideal day. 
I put zero parameters around it, nothing. And it's all simple stuff. So, and they'll even say, go to work. Like I've never had somebody say, like, I've never put parameters on it to say like, you can't buy a yacht. So like you could say, well, I wake up, I go and get on my brand new yacht. And then I sit on my yacht all day long. Nobody ever says that. They say, I get up, I have some quiet time in the morning. I exercise. I go into work. I don't have too many meetings. That always pops up. (laughs) I don't have too many meetings on my schedule, but just enough so I can have some time in between (laughs) to Mm -hmm. sort of breathe and, and be more strategic. And then I come home and we have a nice like healthy dinner and maybe watch a little TV and I go to bed. And I'm like, I put zero parameters on that. And that's what you came up with with your ideal day. That is 100% doable. Yeah. You can do that. What's cool about it is COVID's actually caused us to create for, for a lot of us that are taking advantage of that, the ideal day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love my job. I love being in service to the tech, to the tech part of business in the community. And I want the quiet time. But I also want those meetings throughout the day. And then when you have a rough meeting, there's been a couple of days where it's been low, low much. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped everything at three o'clock and I went for a run. Yeah. I come back. It's not that you ever have to worry about putting in the time. I just in that moment, I needed to clear my head and I needed to get away from this. You can. If you're at the office, you can't do that. Right. But I came back and I showered and I came back and sat here and I had a clear head and I was ready to roll. So it was like, I could have pushed through it, but would the outcome have been as good for myself and whoever else I was working with on the other side of the computer or whatever, if I hadn't taken that time away to give myself back what it was taken or what it needed, right? Yeah. So that's one of the benefits that have come out of this time of isolation is you just get to create the day. I love being able to step outside of my office and give my kids a kiss in the middle of the day. Yeah. You know, I love that. Um, and I love being able to hop back in here and be with people and feel like I'm doing good in the world. Yes. Yeah. So you sort of get the blend of both worlds without having to travel anywhere, right? Yeah. But I love that you mentioned going out for a run because I think we hold, I don't think we actually do hold a lot of our emotions in our bodies. Yeah. And then when we can get some physical activity, we can get a little clearer on it. Like you said, you came back and you sort of had this reset. So like yeah. you were really you were really regulating your emotions, not managing them, not pushing them down, but you're really regulating your emotions because you got sort of that like your body was able to kind of work it out and then you could be clearer thinking. So you weren't so stuck in that. So that's that's awesome. I mean, I, and I I agree. I think I've heard a lot of people really benefiting from creating this new ideal day. Mm-hmm. Um and so when we when we do go back at some point, whatever that looks like, um, once again, we'll have to sort of recreate that. Like, oh my gosh, now I've got to sort of redo this whole thing that I had set up that was working so well. So yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things too, that if, if anybody could take away something from this podcast is experiencing your experience. Mm. So we all have things that come up who we are inside of the Enneagram and, th- and, and things trigger who we are or, or what we don't want to be. Because a lot of times it's the opposite. I don't yeah. want to be that. Yeah. So therefore I sit in it. Just experience it. Let Feel the emotion. Sit with it for a second. That made me upset. I'm mad about that. Sit in it for a minute and go, why am I mad about that? Yeah. What, what's really bothering me? And then let it go. I think the thing that people, they try to shove it down yeah. and then it never gets the release that it needs. And so therefore it sits you know, in our gut or in our mind or in our soul and, and we can't get rid of that negative energy. But if we just 
allow ourselves to sit in the experience of what it's causing sadness. You know, my grandmother passed away last week. We had to push this because of it. I just had to allow myself to sit in the grief. Yeah. To be allowed to miss her and then go, you know what? She wouldn't want this for my life. She wouldn't want me to be in grief because she's in a much better place. So I'm going to love her. She knows that I love her and we're going to move on with life and do, and do great things in honor of her. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think sometimes we just need to like let the emotions ride with us for a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we need to figure out why. I think that's like you said, the key thing. Like we've got to step it back and say why. More often than not, it's something that we have baggage on or we have a limiting belief or it's something about our thinking that created this emotion that we don't like so much. And so when we can, when we can step it back and then figure out what the thought is behind the emotion, like we don't just have emotions randomly. They right. come from thinking. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like twos are terrible at it because we're rose colored glasses. Yeah. yeah everything yeah. is pretty and every, you want everything to be amazing and yes. everything filled with love. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I was not very good at that before. Yeah. Well, and I would say that out of all of these, so I talk about the centers of intelligence within the Enneagram. So there's like thinking center. So use your head to to think through things. Then you have this body doing center and then you have the feeling center and twos, threes, and fours live in the feeling center. But I would still say twos, threes, and fours have a lot of work to do in the emotions part or the feelings part. I think it's a cultural thing personally. I think we've been trained that emotions get in the way. Um, and we know that's not true now. So we know that that is a hundred percent not true. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's typically where I see the most work. It's where most of my work is to do is in that emotions uh, sort of, you know, center of intelligence. And so I have a feelings wheel. I mean, I'm constantly referring to, I was just looking to at it right before we got on this call. Um, and so just being able to articulate my emotions and, um, understand where they're coming from and why I'm having them. Oh my gosh, like total game changer. And I think every mm-hmm. leader needs to be proficient in emotional intelligence, yes. um, but it's not always something that we think we value. And so um, I just recently read a book called Permission to Feel mm-hmm. um, and I'm obsessed with it. So it's written by a PhD um, and he uh, tells part of his own story about learning how to feel and how he was an angry kid and was bullied. And there were all these things going on, but his parents didn't know how to help him. And so we ultimately had a kind uncle that got it and he was an educator. And so anyway, long story short, he learned how to, um, to regulate his emotions and now he teaches that. Um, but he's then brought into Ivy League um, um, you know, schools and they're supposed to be teaching. He's supposed to be teaching the academics about this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I would say one out of a hundred <laughs> are receptive to this. Most of them are like, we don't need to talk about emotions. We just, we're academics. We just need to think about what we need to do. Um, so it's fascinating to me. There's still a ton of work to be done there on the corporate space too, um, everywhere to understand what these emotions mean. We're human. We're supposed to feel them, but we've just stuffed them away for way too long. Yeah. And it's killing and it us. Is, I mean, it it's is, killing us. It, it impacts culture. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're thriving and or striving for um, a great culture, you know, these are things that you need to pay attention to. People's yeah. emotions and feelings, especially right now, mm. matter a lot. And you've got to be, I mean, I'm so thankful that I work for a company where the CEO and owner was like, I don't keep people with contracts. I keep people with culture. And he truly, like his core value is creating a culture where people feel valued and where they get to utilize those gifts and talents at the highest level, yeah. you know, and, and you can go to him and talk to him 
he's just a fantastic leader, you know, when it comes to that. And then he's also developing other leaders within his organization. And it's amazing and using these types of tools and things. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. I know lots of companies there, um, but it starts from the top down for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Think of the impact of having a leader like that. So now, like you said, he's taught these other leaders how to be. And so they're going to go out and maybe own their own company someday. And I just hope, I hope there's a day that it's the norm. It's um, unique in, in, Um, but yeah, Amber, I just really appreciate you coming on and I love hearing your experience and I just like, I can feel your energy, even if it is through a screen. I just, I love your energy. It's so great. So, and I think you're fun just for the record. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you you very much. I, I know how to get there. Um, but yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks for being a guest and Mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to see each other again soon in person. I promise. I know. I can't wait. Thank you. All right. Hey, hey, thanks for joining me as we jam on the gram. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get the latest weekly episodes. That's right. I said weekly. And if you want to follow me on LinkedIn and also on Instagram at Indie Enneagram, I would love to have you. And just remember, when it comes to personal growth, there are seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. Have a great week.